This is Real Estate Rookie episode 209 or one. All throughout college, looking into buying a house. And at the at that time, I was definitely in analysis paralysis. I'm like, oh, I'm too young. Oh, I came up with 100 excuses. And then once it got to that opportunity, I'm like, I've been doing this for five years. I was already leaning towards just, all right, it's time. And then with my dad, which I wasn't expecting, yeah, let's go check it out. I was like, all right, that's it. That's my sign. We're making this happen. Whether we like it or not, we're making this happen. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And we are back with another amazing guest for today's episode. Uh, today's guest is Ryan Hughes, and Ryan's based out of South Florida. Actually, South Florida? West Palm Beach wherever that is in florida <laughs> yeah somewhere in florida uh but anyway he's from florida west and, uh, side, maybe yeah west yeah maybe somewhere on the west side uh but he, he's got a really cool story and you know we we love the rookie podcast because so many of the stories are so relatable and our guests are doing things that pretty much every single person listening can implement in some way shape or form and i think ryan's episode today about house hacking is a great great example of just super simple steps you can take uh to get started as a real estate investor yeah and just the way he's been able to network with people and really rely on their expertise but it's not like oh please help me please help me it's like you're an experienced contractor in this skill set like what do you recommend like being genuine i think is like the really big difference between Ryan and a lot of other people asking for, you know, someone's help with something. And he is super genuine and he actually takes that person's advice too instead of just wasting their time. But um, one of the things I really like Ryan too is at the end of this episode, he like breaks down as to how his personal finances have changed since he bought his first deal until now today. And then what his like long-term goal is too. It's pretty cool and inspiring. I also really loved how he talked about how he got connected to his agent uh, in South Florida and, and just kind of how that how that whole relationship uh, spawned so many other connections that have benefited him as a real estate investor. And uh, I, I just looked it up. Our producer dropped it in the, in the chat and I just looked it up on the map. But West Palm Beach is actually in South Florida. But funny enough, it's on the eastern side of Florida, not on the west side. So what have... Anyway little nugget for today's episode. <laughs> um, so just a little bit of housekeeping. want to give a shout out to someone that lets us say five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This person goes by the username Welcome Home. And Welcome Home says, I am thrilled, in all caps, to write a five-star review for Ashley and Tony. I just closed on my first property and I'm truly looking forward to placing tenants. And I would not be here without all of the guidance, tips, and strategies provided by Ashley and Tony. I am so grateful for you two. Welcome home. Congratulations. Uh, those are the kind of things we love reading uh, in the forums and the in the podcast reviews and Facebook group is people taking action with what they learned on this podcast. So if you have not yet taken a few minutes to, to write us an honest rating and review, please do. Uh, the more reviews we get, the more folks we can reach. And the more folks we can reach, the more folks we can help just like this person uh, will Welcome home. So appreciate you all. Yes. Thank you guys so much. It really does make our day when we get the little email alerts uh, every, I think they come every week, every other week, uh, showing us what the reviews are and what they say. And uh, we really appreciate it very much and appreciate everyone being genuine. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. 
That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers... Proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. Now, Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six-month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor for six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Ryan, do you want to start off with just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into real estate? Definitely. So I'm 25 years old. I bought my first property just out of college when I was 22. I uh, graduated in May and bought it August, so I didn't waste too much time. Um, I've been kind of investing in real estate as long as I've, I can remember because when I was growing up, uh, my parents were getting into financial freedom and Dave Ramsey and Financial Peace University. Um, so they would kind of get me involved here and there and ask me questions. Hey, this is what we went over. This is kind of what we learned from it. So I got involved that way. And then when I was about 14-ish, my dad decided to take the leap as a new investor and get into it. And so he bought two properties and when he bought them, they were, they were really cheap so he could afford it by himself, but he wanted us kids because I have a little brother to get into it as well. So when he did that, he was like, 
I know you have a little bit of saved. Obviously, I see your savings account. Um, if you want, like, th- here's an opportunity to invest. And this is what that means. And he's like, basically, every month I would sit down with you. This is the percentage you would buy in. So this is how much you'd earn. And as long as I can remember, the first of every month, we were getting our $25 a month, $25 a month. So it was really cool to see that. And then right around when I was graduating, my dad decided to sell the properties. And when he did, that was enough to pay for my last semester year of college. So it was cool to kind of see that full circle. Ryan, did you ever calculate what your cash on cash return was? Was your dad actually giving you a good deal? Or <laughs> um, No, I did not. I definitely yeah. didn't. I didn't know anything about that. Honestly, I don't know if he did at the time. We were just like, I would go with him to the property and do the work as well. So we didn't hire anything. He self-managed. It was as simple as could be. Right. You know, you, you mentioned that it was your parents going through the Dave Ramsey uh you know, I don't know, like the Financial Peace University and, and kind of uh, drinking that Kool-Aid. Now, obviously, Dave Ramsey uh, is opposed to debt. So, like, how did you kind of square, like, the idea of Dave Ramsey with becoming a real estate investor? Because Dave Ramsey's whole methodology is you can't be a real estate investor, but you got to pay for everything in cash. Is that the route that y'all went down to get started where you were you're paying cash for your your deals, at least the ones you did with your, with your dad? So, that was... Uh... To your point, that was a very hard struggle for my dad, for myself, um, and it still kind of is a little bit for me. And he he financed them, um, but he did go uh, as much down as he could. He did use, uh, I think, a 15-year fixed. So he did kind of follow that Dave Ramsey route because that's kind of all we knew at the time. And then now that we've got into it more, it still conflicts a little bit, um, but we kind of lean, we use that as a loose guide, Dave Ramsey. And then outside of that, we focus on just investing. I, I love Dave Ramsey for like the paying off debt part. But then once you've done that, as far as his investing advice, I feel like that's where a lot of real estate investors like, yeah, sorry, Dave, I don't need you anymore. <laughs> but I, that was my personal yeah situation. And so like, I like his advice for paying off debt, like using the the snowball method, all of those things and putting yourself in a great position. But as far as investing, um, I think it's very hard for people to really grow wealth without using any um, kind of debt or leverage to rapidly grow wealth. Um, and, I, and I think, um, too, with Dave Ramsey is like he has a ton of other different income streams rather than just real estate investments or investments, like his whole media company and everything like that. So I feel like it's a little difficult to compare apples to oranges. And I feel like with every person you have to look at, you know, it, it like it did Dave Ramsey build wealth in the same way he's teaching everyone else to build wealth. And like you said, Ash, like, no, he didn't, he didn't snowball his way to being this ultra super rich guy. It's because he built this this extreme amount of active income through his media company. And now he's able to kind of stash his, his, uh, his, his cash into real estate. But even still, it's like when you, when you think about like the really big players, uh, whether it's real estate or any industry, really, they all leverage debt in some capacity. Like I just saw an article, um, about Donald Trump, you know, regardless of what you think of Trump's, uh, political beliefs, um, he, you know, he's done some smart things on the business side and he, he had this, uh, office building that he owned in some downtown city, I can't remember which city it was, and he refinanced it for $100 million. They were able to pull out $100 million on this one deal, you know, and that's all debt, you know, but, but it's, it's, it's tax-free and he's got his tenants paying it down. So 
I think once you get to a certain point, being able to leverage debt smartly is is what really allows you to to grow and scale at a at a at a quick rate. So Ryan, you talked you talked a little bit about how you struggled with that. So was that like something just like you had a hard time sleeping at night, like just knowing that, you know, you could potentially get into deep debt or what was kind of your your mindset there? Why did you decide to still continue on with using leverage? So I 100% agree with everything you said so far. And that, that that's the hardest part was um, I, I definitely struggle with the mindset of I want to do this myself. I want to get out of debt. I want to uh, make sure I'm, I can, if something were to go wrong, I can handle these by myself. No big deal. Uh, but just like you said, you can't scale that way. And that's what started getting into my mind slowly. The more I listened to this podcast and other resources I read, like how, how much income and how much extra would I have to do to be able to cover, cover every single property myself was so much more work, so much more time consuming versus leveraging that debt, leveraging those opportunities. And we, we've talked about this in the past too, Ashley, where it's like, if, if debt is something that you're struggling with, there is a way to, to minimize that, right? Maybe even if the bank is offering you you know, a, a, a 10% down loan or, or three and a half percent down loan, if you're going owner occupied, put up 25, put up 30, put up 40 and say, Hey, I'm, I'm never going to have less than 60% equity in, in any of my deals, right? Like that, that's my benchmark. And if you buffer that, or, or you, you give yourself that breathing room, then you're, you're, you have more flexibility if there's ebbs and flow in the, the valuation or, or with whatever happens with your property. So there's some ways, I think, to kind of offset that fear around the debt as well. That's such a great point, Tony. And when I first started out was any Burr strategy property that we did, it was always 70% we would pull out. And it definitely made Burrs harder, <laughs> you know, only pulling out 70%. But um, I that was like a really good way for me to transition from Dave Ramsey to getting into debt again for real estate investing. Actually, I kind of did it simultaneously. So Ryan, with your your background, so your your dad sold the investment properties he had. You went to college. What happened from there as far as did you take on debt? Did you only, you know, get debt for real estate? What kind of happened after college? Yeah, definitely. So uh Quick side note to the burr, like you were just telling that story. I did my first burr ever uh, about six months ago, and I was conflicted with that idea again. How much debt do I cover? And I had the option to do 80% versus 75% loan to value. And because I was nervous, I did 75% and left some money in the deal. If I would have did 80%, I would have been able to pull everything out and then some. So I still struggle with that, like I mentioned. Um, But after college or throughout college, I was very fortunate to be able to graduate uh, with no debt in schooling. Um, however, I was I was ready to buy that house. I was ready to go for it. I was excited. I was looking for it. So one day I was just, I, I like to run and I was running through this small neighborhood near my house, uh, just north of Atlanta. And I was just running. I saw it for sale sign. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I'm going to, I go, I'm going to trot down that address. And then I got home. I was like, let me run the numbers. So I was I was using the bigger pockets calculator, running the numbers, and I'm like, this actually works. I'm like, but I'm only 22 years old. I don't have a ton in savings, just barely graduated, just got my job. So I called my dad and I'm like, dad, is this crazy? And he was like, let's go check it out. Let's see. And sure enough, we did. And 
it happened so fast. I think I was running on like a Saturday and we put the offer in by Sunday. My dad came up that afternoon. We saw it. It was just so fast. I didn't even know. I was like, this is actually happening. Like, oh my gosh. So we, we've heard of driving for dollars, but I think this is the first time we've had a guest that was jogging for dollars, right? But like, what a what a cool way to to kind of get to know a neighborhood even more intimately than you would if you were if you were driving. Um, Ryan, I, I guess just like one, you know, it, I, I think that for so many rookies that are listening, they, they've listened to the podcast, they've read the books, they've watched the YouTube videos, but even if a good deal presented itself, they would have too much fear to actually move forward because that first deal for so many people is the scariest. What, what was it about you or, or like, why do you think you, you didn't have any hesitation moving forward? Um, I think because at that point I had been all throughout college looking into buying a house and at the at that time, I was definitely in analysis paralysis. I'm like, oh, I'm too young. Oh, I came up with a hundred excuses. And then once it got to that opportunity, I'm like, I've been doing this for five years. I was already leaning towards just, all right, it's time. And then with my dad, which I wasn't expecting, yeah, let's go check it out. I was like, all right, that's it. That's my sign. We're making this happen. Whether we like it or not, we're making this happen. So walk us through that period of time when you've seen the house and then you're making the offer. What were the action steps that you took during that time to actually get this, you know, offer in. But definitely. So from when I made my offer, I, w- I was calling a family friend I had or my friend of my parents that was an agent talking to him. Hey, do you know the area? Hey, what do you think about this? Do you know investors in this area? This is my end goal is this is going to be an investment property. Uh, what do you think? Um, okay, you know, do you know any good handyman? Do you know any good kind of getting connections from him and they had great recommendations, uh, great advice, great opinions. Uh, is there any way I can figure out the last time this roof was done? Is there any way, oh, you can go to this website? So I was, as an engineer by day, I was deep in the analysis. I was running numbers every hour. I was calling people left and right. And I was making as much information in front of me as possible to make this decision. Um, however, once I finally, we got our offer accepted, um, Actually, I'll step back a hair. Uh, right before we put in exactly at asking, because I knew it was a good area and I knew that this market was definitely going to appreciate just because I saw so many big businesses coming into the area. Um, and then they came back to us, the seller, and said, Hey, we had three offers around the same. We want you and the two others to offer and another offer your best and highest. So we actually went over asking in that case. Not by a lot, about 5,000, but went over asking because I was so into this uh, area that I knew I very, from running the neighborhoods, from walking to City Hall and all these places, I knew this was the right area. Um, and then from there, uh, I got as much information as possible, got my inspection back, and was like, well, this deal's off the table. Too many things, too many pages. And I was back at, okay, what do I do? Well, so, so Ryan, did you, did you actually end up moving forward with that? Cause uh, I guess the, the thing I wanted to bring up is that you said you went in over asking. And I, I think there is a, a common misconception that anytime you go in over asking, you're automatically getting a bad deal. So what, what made you feel comfortable or how did you support your decision to go in over asking? Definitely. So I did end up taking that and closing on that house, which was awesome, worked out great. So that house in itself has a hundred different stories. So um, we did end up closing on that house, which uh, when I went in at at asking in the first place, I was like, oh my goodness, like this is 
already a little bit obviously high. I thought the exact same thing as you just said. I'm getting scammed. Like I'm at, I'm giving them exactly what they want. And uh, I've heard David Green talk about it a hundred times. If you offer and they accept right away, you're you're too high. So I was like, uh, this isn't a good idea. Um, and then when they came back and wanted more, I was like, oh my gosh, are you serious? This is, I'm like you said, I'm losing out. But I just saw the market. I didn't care about the house. I didn't care about the lot. I saw the area and I knew that area was going to do very well, very well. So I was, I was like, you know what? I think 5,000 today will be worth much, much more five, 10 years down the road. And it ended up being way less time than I thought because um, that property is worth about double what I bought it two years ago. Wow, that's amazing. Um, but my, my first question that I have is the financing piece of it, because you said that, you know, you didn't have a ton of money saved up. So in that short time period of when you looked at the house with your dad and then you put in your offer, what did you do to figure out how you're actually going to pay for the deal? So I went as I would say this whole deal is as relatable as possible. It was on market. Um, it was through an agent. It was, uh, I went to the biggest lender, Rocket Mortgage, uh, just as plain as simple as it could be. Uh, my dad, uh, his properties were through them. So when he called and kind of gave a recommendation, I was able to skip a little bit. They were like, oh, okay, we don't have to go through as much paperwork. Um, I think because of the recommendation, they gave me like $500 back at closing, which is an awesome, awesome benefit. Especially, like I said, when I only had so much saved up, uh, that helped a ton. Um, and I got approved for a good bit over, uh, because at the time I just graduated, I didn't have a lot of responsibility and I was just starting as an engineer. So I was getting paid a decent salary. So I got approved for more than that. Um, and I was going to just wrap closing and everything into the loan. So I didn't have a lot to come down. I think I put 3% down conventional. So again, as relatable, as easy as possible. I, oh, we've been hearing more and more, Tony, about conventional loans and doing 3%. We just had another guest on the, the podcast that was talking about this too, where, you know, we were so used to hearing the FHA loan 3.5% down as being the lowest, but now we've been hearing about this 3% conventional. So Ryan, how did you hear about this loan product or know that it existed? Did you hear it somewhere and tell the lender, this is what I want to do? Or did they kind of tell you, this is what the product we have for you? Yeah, I, by talking to everybody about everything, <laughs> in all honesty, um, I asked uh, my agent at the time, our family friend, hey, so how are, how are a lot of your clients closing on deals? Are they coming in cash? Or are they, how are they strengthening their offers? Um, what are they doing? Are they putting in these uh, contingencies? Um, same with the lender. How are you guys giving most of your loans? For someone myself, my situation just out of college, I obviously have enough to put the down payment of three and a half percent FHA. And he was like, oh no, don't do three and a half percent. You could do 3%. I'm like, since when? How is that? And he's like, oh, we're offering 3% conventional. So you also don't have all the rules tied to FHA like you normally would. It's just a simple loan. I was like, I'm going to honestly, I was kind of saying I'd lean on you. Um, you're the professional in this space and I'm just coming to you for all my questions. And he was like, no, he's like, trust me, this will work out very well. And so did it. It did because I moved out <laughs> about a year later, <laughs> and uh, this is when I moved to Florida. Well, just just really quick on on the mortgage uh, on the mortgage side of the, the the lending side, I think it, it's so important, and we've talked about this so many times before, Ash, but it's, it's worth repeating: is that you when, when you're working with the lender, 
just always let them know what your goal is and not necessarily what kind of loan product it is that you want. Because had you gone to that lender and said, hey, I want a, a 3.5% FHA uh, loan, they would say, okay, cool, right? Let, here, here's 3.5% FHA, right? But if you said, hey, I, I want the the lowest down payment, but I also want the, the, the type of debt that is most uh, attractive to the seller. And for a lot of sellers, FHA is not as attractive because there are so many hoops you have to jump through. And when you go to them with your goal, that's how you get the best loan product for your unique situation. Because like you said, it's the lender's job to know all of the different levers that can be pulled. And it's your job to give them the the end goal they should be working towards. Uh, I think you you did a great job of that. And Ash, you, you shared the story, but I feel like you probably haven't shared it in a while, but it, it's worth repeating about like the the property you closed on with the line of credit. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, no. They gave you like a, a 90 day unsecured line of credit or something like that. Yeah. yeah so it was a, a 90 day unsecured loan to actually purchase the property. We, Joe and I, my one business partner, we were both getting lines of credits on our investment properties, and we're at the closing table, closing on our line of credits together. And we had already needed this these funds for something else. Like they were already being used our line of credit money. So. We were telling the loan officer about this deal, and I actually had the bigger pockets calculator report. I'm like telling him about it, everything, and he's like, "How are you gonna pay for it?" We're like, "Oh, we don't know yet." And so he's like, "Well, you know, if you don't find a private lender, here is, you know, I could offer you this." And what it was was a 90 day unsecured loan. It would be for exactly what I needed at the closing table to close on the property in cash. And then we would go ahead and refinance with long-term financing with that same bank. So that's what we did. We had our appraisal done, I think, like three days after closing. Um, the only thing we did was add a fridge in there, got the appraisal done, and we were actually able to do a more than perfect where We pulled out more money um, than we actually needed to to actually pay off that 90-day unsecured loan. So um, yeah, it worked out great, but that was all just like, not telling him what we wanted to do, just like, here's what we have. And then him telling us what you know, our options are. So we never, I never would have thought that would have been, you know, a scenario at all that would happen. Yeah, Tony, that's a, that's a great point. And until you just specifically said that example, it didn't click with me, but that's how I do everything. I approach everything. When I have a contractor, I'm like, hey, I'm kind of thinking this is the best approach for this but you're the professional. So give me your opinion. What are your thoughts? Um, and they're like, Oh, I like your idea. I didn't think about it, but this is where we're going to struggle. I'm like, okay, awesome. Like that makes sense. What if we did this then? Um, and the same with the lender, the same with the agent. Hey, I'm looking, this is what I found from my research. One of the better neighborhoods or better areas to be in, but you live in this area. You're from this area. What do you think? And they're like, Oh, this is, this is a good neighborhood, but this one's up and coming. It's lower, but this is where they're putting all this money. And I've found so many resources, so many connections, so many different aspects that I never, ever would have thought of, new ideas that just never would have crossed my mind. Um, when I first did my burr, uh, or this live-in burr that I did, I was like, okay, it's a 3-1. Um, okay, we'll keep it a 3-1, yada, yada. And after talking to people, they're like, why would you keep that a 3-1? That layout doesn't make any sense. Make it a 2-2. And I was like, you could do that? Like that's that's available, okay, <laughs> and so that's what we did. Ryan, I think we can end the podcast right here because what you just said has tremendous value for anyone listening. And I feel like Tony and I have always restricted it to lending, but you are one hundred percent correct. It goes with all elements of like 
you know, asking other people for their expertise. And I think like if somebody actually doesn't know what they're doing, you can find that out too. Like if you know this is the way to do the plumbing issue and you ask them, well, what's what do you think is the best way? And they tell you something that you know is 100% incorrect, then you know not to go with them. So I think there's kind of two sides of that. But um, yeah, that, that's great advice you just shared in all elements of all people you're you know, connecting with and networking with, you know, relying on as professionals is asking for their expertise and what they actually have to offer because it's almost impossible to know what everybody can can give for you. As much as we want to think that we're real estate investors, we know exactly the lending we need. We know exactly what we want from the real estate agent, things like that. There's so many things people are capable of or the knowledge they have that we don't we don't know. One hundred percent. We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with RentReady. Now, RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six-month plan for only $1. Visit RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like bigger pockets investor for six months of rent ready for only one dollar. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Let's get back into the the deal part of it. So you've just, your offer is accepted when you've upped the price and now you're getting into the inspection. So what did that look like? So it was for a person buying their first house, I get I don't know, a 50-page report, and I'm like, I might as well throw it in the trash because that is so many pages. That means everything's wrong with the house. I might as, The house is going to fall down tomorrow. That was my thought because I didn't know what I was doing, and there's so many pages that are coming with this report. And I'm like, there's got to be a lot wrong. And then the more I look at it, broken uh, light switch, uh, plate on the wall is hanging. I'm like, oh, dude, I'm like, I can go out there with a screwdriver and fix all this in an hour. I'm like, okay, okay, this isn't as bad. Uh, paint chipping. I'm like, that's that's nothing. And then you have like a uh, deck not properly uh, braced to the wall. I'm like, a little bit serious. I can't do myself. 
Um, so then I kind of went through them line by line with my dad, with our agent, with all of these different people and just kind of asked like, is this a big deal? And they're like, no, not necessarily. And so I was like, okay, let me, the things I can't fix, let me just go ahead and ask for those back uh, from the seller. Um, so I slowly kind of talked myself off the ledge and then other people talked me down as well. And then I went to my agent. I was like, here's the things I can't do. Let me submit those and see if we can get any of those repaired. And he was like, why'd you do that? He's like, submit everything. I'm like, everything? They're not going to repair everything. He's like, yeah, but if you shoot for 100 and get 75, you were only going to ask for 50 and they were going to give you 30. He's like, so you're way better off by doing that than throwing out a few. And sure enough, we got way more done than I expected by throwing everything and them going, you know what? I can't really bring it down that low and fix it a majority of the things. I think that's the the power of the inspection. And that's why I love the inspection process. And it's so funny, Ryan, like you said, when you get, when you get like a thick inspection report that it scared you. But for me, it's almost the opposite where it's like, man, now I have all this ammo that I can use as the buyer to negotiate. And like you said, get a credit or some of these things repaired by the seller. Tony, do you have an example of that happening to you recently where you've gone and gotten an inspection and you had to use it to renegotiate the deal? Uh, pretty much every property that I buy, um, except for like our new construction stuff, pretty much every property that I buy, whatever comes up in the inspection report, even if we're going to gut the house anyway, <laughs> we still ask for for credits. Um, like we closed in a house, a flip that we just, we just recently finished and I don't know. I, I think we end up getting like an extra like $10,000 off the purchase price from the information that was inside of the inspection report. And like one of the things that we used to do, we don't do it as well anymore. But uh, when we were buying a lot of stuff off the MLS, we would have our our handyman be at the property the day that the inspection was happening. And as the property inspector was going through the the property, like notating everything that was broken, our handyman would be right behind him creating a bid uh, of what it would cost to get those things repaired. So now as soon as we get the inspection report back, we already have a bid from our handyman and we just give that bid to the seller and say, hey, here, here's a projected cost. Um, either you can credit us this amount or you can fix it all yourself. And, and that was like a tactic we used quite a few times uh, as we were going through uh, the negotiating phase. That's genius. Yeah, a good technique of having an actual estimate too when you're going and asking instead of just saying, you know, here's all the things that have to be fixed, you know, can we get $5,000? But if you actually have an invoice from a contractor or a vendor that shows how much it's going to cost, um, because really locking up a, a deal is... They have to, were you pending at this point, Tony? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're pending, it kind of leaves a, a ding on the property. If the property goes pending, then all of a sudden back up on the market too. So I, I think that you do have like some, you know, negotiation there just for that reason alone too. And, and to your point, now that I've gotten the first deal under my belt, now that I've gotten the second deal under my belt, two completely different strategies, I think the exact same thing. And I'll call the inspector ahead of time after I've already scheduled him. And I'm like, hey, I need you to find everything. I'm like, everything. <laughs> and he's like, all right, man, I got you. I'm like, no, no, everything. If it's his less than 50 pages, we're going to have to go back. <laughs> and so I think the same thing now. So Ryan, this was, this first property was a house hack. How long did you live in there before you ended up getting your second property? Yeah, definitely. So I uh, that first property is a house hack on steroids. So it was a three and a half bedroom house. I rented to all my college buddies. My brother just started going to college. So I rented to him. 
Um, and at, at one point, I think we had seven people living there and everybody paying rent other than my girlfriend at the time, my wife now and myself, everybody was paying rent. So she, we're living in a very nice area, lots to do near Atlanta and we're getting paid every month. And she, she herself couldn't realize it or she realized it, but she didn't like fathom like how this is happening. And I'm like, look, we have so many bedrooms we're renting them all out. And then even we had a very large utility room that we had a buddy that come over the weekends and he would just stay there and rent the weekends. Um, so it, it was stay just, in the utility room. Yeah, it was huge. This it was is like a, a college house for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a bedroom in itself. It was a big room, but yeah, he definitely did. And it was a great time. Um, we stayed there for about a year, year and a few months. And then my wife got a job down in Florida. So I was like, this is a perfect opportunity to push me out of this house and get the next one. And I did the same thing I do. And we found an agent that we didn't know anybody down here for the most part, uh, or in the area we were moving, I uh, called an agent, asked, Hey, uh, what is the, what are the areas? What do we do? Uh, what do you like? And I was trying to set up that house in Georgia to finish painting, uh, new flooring. And my wife already moved down. Um, so she, I was calling the agent texting her addresses she's touring all the houses and facetiming me throughout all the houses and she's telling me like i'm not going in that one i'm like please this one's the best one and then the agent would call me he's like the area is not good we're not going to do that one i'm like okay that's good advice and then it came to the point where i was asking him so many questions he's like you know what? i know a couple of people that you might like to talk to ended up being a couple of big time investors down here and i uh, hit it off right away and one of them actually ended up being my mentor. So that was an awesome little uh, stepping stone. That's so cool. Uh, One question I do have is um, when you bought this first house hack, were you dating your wife then? And, or was that like part of the appeal is that, you know, you started dating because you own this house. (laughs) So that's a fun little story. I told you that first house had a million, million stories Um, since it was runnable. Uh, I was dating that girl at the time, with my wife now, my girlfriend at the time. And uh, we, I told her, let's go. We had dogs. I'm like, let's take her for a walk. Let's enjoy the outside. So we walked to the property. I'm like, isn't this kind of a cool house? And she's like, yes. And like, yeah, okay. And then I'm like, let's go check out the backyard. But did she think anything? She had no idea. We, we already uh, went under contract, but we haven't closed. And she had no idea because uh, it happened so fast. I, she worked nights, so I didn't really get time to talk to her about it. And uh, we went in the backyard and she's like, oh, this is really cool. I'm like, yeah, it is cool, especially now that it's ours now. And she just kind of looked at me like, ours? I was like, yeah, we just we just went under contract on this house. And she didn't know what to think. So it was really cool to like surprise her with the whole house. Yeah, you know, that, that's a great thing to surprise your your wife with is like a, your first investment property. The first time I bought something big without my wife, uh, my girlfriend at the time, no, and I bought a BMW and she was, she was not super happy about that. So it's surprising her with a, a house would be way better. Um, just a, a couple of follow-up questions, right? And you, you, you said that you house hacked, uh, that first property, but just for, for our rookies that are listening, that may not be familiar with what that phrase is or with what that strategy is, break down the, the strategy of, of house hacking and, and how you said you were able to essentially live for free. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, house hacking is getting, uh, more and more creative, I would say. Um, but the original like thinking was to rent a or own a duplex, triplex, quadplex, and rent out the units that you weren't living in. 
uh, that was a great benefit because you could have your housing paid for, but you can also afford, afford to get a financing deal on a typical finance on that property because you can show income for those properties to counteract what it would cost. Uh, then it turned into renting out your rooms like myself at a three bedroom. Um, and it was perfect because each bedroom had its own bathroom. Then there was also a half bath for all guests. So no guest used anyone's room. Everybody had private bathrooms so I could rent it for more. Um, so I rented out every single bedroom and the laundry room, other spaces. Um, and I was able to actually pay enough to pay for my mortgage, my utilities, and then some. And I made money every month. And then now I've thought myself to renting out an RV in like my backyard um, for people to rent that and not actually rent my unit. Um, so there's been a couple of creative things I've seen out there that I've really liked with house hacking. Yeah, I think house hacking is a, a great strategy, especially in today's kind of higher interest rate uh, environment to get started as a real estate investor if you have that additional space. And, you know, sometimes there's the knock around like, um, you know, sharing space with people and all this, that, and the other, but it's like, if you set it up the right way, it can, it can really be a, a good strategy. And then one, one other follow-up question, you said that when you and your wife moved down to Florida, that your agent kind of became the person that connected you to your mentor and everyone else that you needed. How did you find that agent and, and why were they so willing to just kind of plug you into their network? Like what would, like, what did that dialogue look like for you to get tapped in like that? Yeah. So, uh, like, like I'd been doing the whole time, I basically, I took advantage of the opportunities that were out there in terms of, I went to Zillow, everybody at Zillow, and it's, some of the listings will say, schedule a tour this afternoon. I click schedule and he called me. And from there, I just had a conversation and said, hey, this is what I'm looking to do. Uh, where are you from? What areas do you like? Do you like where you originally grew up? Do you see opportunity? Uh, what do you think if I did this with this property? And then once I started to ask him questions that were less uh, about the market is when he was like, okay, look, you're a knowledgeable guy. Uh, let me start sending you to people I know really close to me that I trust with answering your questions. I'm like, okay, that'd be great. Started talking to them and they would connect me with someone else or they would be able to answer my questions and started forming connections with people. I knew a ton of people before I even stepped foot in the state because I'd just been calling and calling and talking and asking questions and hey when I get down there I'd love to take you out for dinner for just an appreciation for all your time and just answer my phone call that's as easy as it was just answering my phone call is more than enough I could ask for um, I know you're busy um, and then they would keep answering my phone call and then I'd at, so I just found out that more and more people enjoy talking about what they already love to do um, and the same thing when it came to asking professionals plumbers or handymen what is your recommendation they're like no one really asks me what I want or what I care about. They just want me to come over and do the job and then they pay me and then I'm too expensive. I'm like, no, I appreciate your time. And they would end up giving me a friend's business card, giving me their business card and wanting to keep calling me or talking to me. And I closed on this house down here and then me and my agent just went golfing last weekend. So we're still really close now. It was a really cool uh, relationship to build. I think that's really awesome advice too, as to like how you can provide value and also not take too much, but then you're like building out a relationship with that person um, because you find those similarities and the things they really do involve. And for your example, with the contractor thing, like nobody really asked me what my recommendation is or what I should do. Like 
I think that's so funny because I see that oftentimes when I send contractors to tenants, the the tenants know what is the best way to fix something, even though the plumber has been doing it for 30 years, you know, so I can, I can see that, that frustration. But um, I want to I wanna ask about the overall picture. So now that you've done your two investment properties, your first one in Atlanta, your second one in, in Florida, how has your financial picture changed but just doing those two deals how has you know when you before you bought that first property to right now what has changed as far as your personal finances um so that's a great question i when i was coming into college and then graduating college i would say my idea of what was expensive slowly started to change uh, was one one concept that it took me a while to grasp. And then moving to Florida, everything's expensive and very hyperinflated. So it was like, I, I realized now a very small property is going to cost $500,000 while in Georgia, it's going to cost half that. And you're like, okay, so you started getting it. It's more the location. Okay, the location's the important part, not necessarily the house itself. And then you start to kind of evolve more and more or myself, at least my mindset that, okay, if that's obtainable because of my location and everybody wants to be there, I just have to buy in the right location. Okay, let me look for different locations that everybody maybe will start to move to. And then that's what I started to juggle with more because those are more obtainable for myself. Um, But I, I do, as I've realized that things get more expensive, get more valuable, I want to start in somewhere that's obtainable, that if something were to go wrong, I could handle it. Um, and then slowly progress and uh, maybe go to a multi- small multifamily and progress into that. And that stretches that uh, or uses debt a little bit more leveraged uh, and then maybe get into a more desirable area and do, I don't know, a, a fresh build or something along those lines. And I want to be able to tap into all areas of real estate just as a whole because I love learning about it. And it's just it's complicated so it makes me think, but at the same time, it's so much more fun because I enjoy it and it could, because it makes me think. I'm never wasting time. I'm always growing as a person. Um, and I get to meet so many great people. So it's that's that right there is what I'm always looking to progress. But because I can meet new people and get into new markets and do new things. I love the, the, the last thing you said, Ryan, about meeting new people. I think that's been one of the most fulfilling things for me personally about becoming a real estate investor is just the the network of people, the the relationships that I've built, the the conversations I've been able to be a part of, all because we share this passion for financial freedom and entrepreneurship and building a legacy. And it's like when you when you get connected with people who are on the same wavelength as you, it's like you you unlock this part of life that some people never, never find, man. So I, I love that. Um, I, I want to take us to our rookie exam, Ryan, but before I do, just, just one follow-up question because I, I know this is something that might be swirling around in the minds of some of our, our rookies that are listening. When you house hack, it means that you're living in, you know, at least the way that you did it, it means that you're living in, in one bedroom and then your other two, three, however many bedrooms you have are occupied by tenants. What have you found as uh, maybe some of the, if you had to give someone some tips or advice on how to manage tenants when you literally are sharing the same kitchen and living room and, and everything else? Like what are some some things you can give to folks who want to go down that path to make it smooth? Oh, that's a fantastic question. Uh, I, I 
was super fortunate that most of them were my friends. So just college friends that moved in that also wanted to be in the area. Um, but I'm not going to lie, it's stressful because not everybody's clean. Not everybody cares about your kitchen. Uh, for example, my own brother uh, would leave the stove on all the time and I, and like melt our utensils. I'm like, dude, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, I'm like, can't be too mad at you. You're my brother, but come on, man. <laughs> Um, so things like that happen all the time and you just kind of, kind of keep going and you just keep pushing through or keep doing your thing. And part of it that always helps is this might sound a little bad, but in the end you got to be like, well, he did burn my utensils, but he did pay me every month for burning my utensils. So that still makes it a little bit easier. <laughs> I, th- I think back to like my college days and like how different it would have been for me if I owned the house that people were living in, especially if that was my first investment property. Oh my God, I would have been so anal. Like, oh, I would have been crying. You put a ding in the trim. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so there was one summer I lived in a frat house because I was taking summer classes and I was like mom either you can spend this much money for me to stay in the dorms for six weeks or I can save my boyfriend's frat house with him and five other guys for this amount of money and she's like fine you can stay in the frat house but don't ever tell your father (laughs) I let you do this so I lived with these guys in this frat house for six weeks over the summer. And it was like, other than that, I'd always lived on campus. And so it was definitely like an experience of like sharing the kitchen area and just like, you know, whose stuff is whose. But I always found it interesting how they actually picked the rooms as to who got what room. And they had a competition. So each of them picked something they were good at. So like one was video games, one was basket, like one-on-one basketball, whatever it was. And then they had a contest and like whoever ranked the best out of all of those got first pick and then second. And it was like a scoring That is genius. I know. I always thought that was like such a great way. Like if you are house hacking with friends to like kind of pick who gets what room or whatever. Yeah. That is genius. I love that. You know, I, I I don't know if we've ever had this situation, but like uh, like an eviction when you're renting by the room, like, you know, when you're house hacking and you're renting by the room, like, I don't think we've ever had a guest that had to evict someone uh, from like a house hack like that. So uh, yeah, I, I don't think we've ever had anyone. So maybe there's just something about like sharing a space where you get like a better group of people, you know, but it would be kind of awkward to evict someone from the room next door. You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> Hey, I will help you move out, but I go past the front door. That's my limit. That's all I stop. (laughs) You're not friends anymore. (laughs) You put locks on the the kitchen cabinets, the fridge, like you're renting that or they release us that room. You can't get into the bathroom. Everything. No bathroom, no kitchen. All right. Um, Awesome. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go to our rookie exam. Uh, We've got three questions that we ask every single guest. So our first question, Brian, is... What's one actionable thing Ricky should do after listening to your episode? Call an agent, uh, go to real estate meetups, uh, reach out on bigger pockets, just meet people, uh, make connections and meet people. If you're not looking to buy right now, that doesn't matter. Just like you said, one of the best parts about real estate is meeting people. So you can do that for free right now. Ryan, what is one tool, software, app, or system in your business that you use? I'm a as an engineer, I'm big in the numbers, like I mentioned. So I'm a huge Excel guy. Everything's Excel. I'm like, wait, let me think about that. And I go knock out a little calculator. I go do a spreadsheet, something down to when I was financing my car, 
I had a million different things on one spreadsheet. And pretty soon Ryan's going to be selling these spreadsheets as a side hustle. <laughs> Everyone's going to reach it out. I want, the, I want those spreadsheets. Yeah. All right. Last question for you. Where do you plan on being in five years, Ryan? I've always told myself since my teenage years that I'm going to retire from nine to five by the age of 30. Always told myself before I had a plan, before I bought my property, I'm going to retire by 30. So I hope I'm full-time in real estate by the time I'm 30 and I hit 10 plus units by that time. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. And we can't wait to listen to you on the OG real estate podcast uh, as you get closer to that goal. Well, Ryan, we're going to take it to the rookie request line. Uh, today's question is from Jonathan Eloisa. If you guys have a question you would like us to answer, you can go to biggerpockets.com slash reply, or you can leave us a voicemail at one 888 rookie or leave the question for us in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. Jonathan's question is, what's a better option to purchase a flip or a long-term hold, such as a rental, HELOC, or hard money? I currently own my primary free and clear, but I'm scared to put it up as collateral or take out a mortgage on it. Can you all give me any advice on using either a HELOC or hard money for purchasing? Thank you very much. So Ryan, what would be your advice? Especially right now with rates as crazy as they are, um, HELOC has, they are a variable rate, so they're increasing. Um, I would lean a little bit more away from that. Um, And as primary residents, like when I had my first unit, uh, my first goal was to house hack it. So I didn't have a major overhead cost and then get out of it as fast as possible. So that could be a rental. I got in extremely low, and especially in this case, you would have little to no cost owning it free and clear. That means the cash flow would be one of the best performing units you have. Um, so I would lean towards moving to a new unit or owning a different primary residence because you could get in very low and making that your new best performing asset. Yeah, I think uh, my take on it would be is if you are going to do a flip, is to get a HELOC on your property um, because that's definitely going to be cheaper money than hard money is getting that that HELOC. And that's what you use to fund the deal, to rehab it. And then when you sell it, pay that HELOC back. As far as a long-term buy and hold, you either are going to get debt on the rental or you're going to get debt on your primary. So your debt is going to be cheaper on your primary So you look at it as when you run your numbers, can your tenants in your investment property pay that mortgage for you that's on your primary residence and kind of look at it that way? And then also, what's the risk? Like worst case scenario, can your W-2 cover that mortgage payment? Can you put a, you know, save up six months reserves in case it is vacant? So look at those worst case scenarios as to like, how bad does it really have to be for the bank to seize my primary residence? Um, and then maybe even, you know, you're not taking out the full amount of the value of your primary residence too, as you're doing a, a smaller amount. So you still have a lot of equity left in the property too. I think the only thing I'd add to that is, you know, and everyone's going to have their own risk tolerance, but uh, if I were taking out a HELOC on my primary residence, I would only want to use it for a short-term project. So I would probably lean a little bit more towards using that money to fund a flip where I can be in and out in a few months versus a, a long-term buy and hold where, you know, you, like Ash said, you got to kind of rely on the cash flow from your your rental to pay that off. And I feel like most folks I talk to, they're using the HELOC in those kind of short-term situations where they can quickly pay it back in, 
and be done with it. But ultimately, Jonathan's whatever uh, whatever feels best for your unique situation. And I think you're in a great situation, Jonathan, too. And congratulations having a, your primary residence, free and clear. That's that's a, a goal of a lot of people. So uh, congrats to you. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. Can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information about you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so a college buddy of mine and I started a YouTube a while back uh, at Two Bros and a Budget um, and pretty much on everything from TikTok to Twitter to YouTube with that title. Hey, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to give out a quick shout out to this week's Instagram uh, social media account you guys should be following. And this week it is at Anna K CPA. If you guys want to know real estate um, advice for taxes, for bookkeeping, uh, please give Anna a follow. That is at Anna K CPA uh, for all real estate investors, especially rookie investors that are just starting out. She does a lot of reels and information for people just starting out as to what you need to know about taxes, bookkeeping, accounting in general. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Ashley at Wealthform Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. So make sure you get in your requests at biggerpockets.com slash reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.